Welcome to this week's episode of Three Man Booth Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Hunter McGoy, joined by the hardest working man in podcasting, Mr. Adam Howe. HD, how you doing? Mr. Uh, Baker Mayfield I'm, looking so say, how are you? I'm, per- I'm perplexed that you don't like my homage to Baker Mayfield as I'm letting my hair grow out for like the first time in 25 years. And Why? What are you trying to pull off? I don't know. I'm just letting it grow out to see what I can do. I don't know if I'm going to go... Like a Shawn Michaels length, or are you going to go... Oh, I don't think I could grow it that long without wanting to cut all my hair off. So we'll see how, we'll see how long <laughs> this good lasts. You rocked the, rock the skull cap nicely, my friend. Okay. Uh, this week's episode, Adam and I are going to kind of do what we did a few weeks ago, and how we talked about wrestlers from the 90s, thought we had a lot of fun with that. This time we're going to bring it back to the 80s, which is absolutely my wheelhouse. I wasn't born yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but before we do that, we obviously have a lot to get off our chest. So, listeners, while you sit there, hopefully as comfortably as you can, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me because i got a lot that I want to get off my chest. The WWE has been jerking us fans around for decades. WWE, I hate this idea that you're the best because you're not. You've had what amounts to a glorified monopoly in wrestling for nearly two decades, and you've gotten lazy. And that's where my CM Punk homage ran out. So, uh, now we're just going to talk about what's happened recently. So what happens... You had me glued, buddy. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like that sounds really familiar. <laughs> if I would have taken more time, I, would, I, I could have gone on a much longer rant. That was really good. Uh, but since what I believe is March 20th of 2001, the WWE has pretty much run unopposed. And they indeed have gotten lazy. They've taken the fans for granted and don't care. They, you know, so let's bring it much more current. Let's go back to what, last year. All Out gets announced and, you know, sells out in minutes and, and WWE doesn't really address it. And we're just like, ah, okay, it's a one-off. Then, you know, we fast forward to February of this year. AEW gets announced as a company and they're going to be running events. And once again, WWE gives a collective shoulder shrug. Double or Nothing gets announced, sells 12, 13,000 tickets in minutes. AEW gets a TV deal, and this is when WWE finally decides, oh shit, we have competition. How do we know this? Did WWE ever do anything to counteract TNA or Impact? No. Did WWE do anything to ever counter Ring of Honor? No. The only thing that they've done recently to to counter a company was that they moved the WrestleMania TakeOver from Saturday to Friday... And that was only because New Japan had sold 15,000 tickets in no time at all. Back to the Impact thing real quick, sorry. Mm-hmm. I know at that time, well, hurt Impact in my opinion, because Impact kind of held the roster during mm-hmm. that, was that 08, 09, 2010 run, is they tried to compete head-to-head with Monday Night Raw. Right, but that was that was more Impact's problem or TNA's right. problem. Right, so that's what, I think if they went away from that, they might have succeeded a little bit better. But, right. anywho, 15. Ten years later, here we are. Right. <laughs> so, TNT deal becomes official, and the WWE 
Um, again, this is TNT deal being um, in place was something that was rumored, you know, shortly after they announced the company. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, Cody. It's the only and, company you truly heard about. Right, you know, and, and, and in any press interviews, Cody Rhodes would always be asked, well, hey, what about, you know, we hear these rumblings about TNT and, you know, you guys being on TNT and Cody, you know, would would always say no, but he's like, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there was wrestling on TNT again? And I would always give a, you know, a, a shit-eating grin, wink to the camera. Once it became official, the WWE decided they could, they were going to do, actively do anything and everything they could, everything they could to sabotage AEW. They took... They, the rumored thing for SmackDown was that Fox was going to sign SmackDown, and then they wanted NXT for Fox Sports 1. WWE says, nah, fuck that shit. We're going to go head-to-head with AEW, and instead of taking that free two-hour slot that they've had on Tuesday for years, that they've conditioned their, their sheep to watch for years, was Raw and SmackDown Monday and Tuesday. But no, let's go ahead and try to take over that Wednesday slot. So they get a two-week head start on AEW. Both those two shows were good, good, very good shows and led up to a takeover caliber card. They did a 15-minute overrun for NXT on USA against AEW, and what was the result? It was a bloodbath. AEW killed them in the ratings. There is no positive spin that the WWE can put on it. They can send out their snarky tweet of, boy, good job, AEW. Just a reminder, it's a marathon, not a sprint. They got killed in every single solitary demographic that matters. 18 to 39, crushed. 25 to 39, crushed. The people who watched NXT, dudes my age, 48 and older, watched NXT. And WWE knows this, so they continue just to turn a blind eye to it, showing that they're laziness. And so all the apologists have come out and said, oh, it's a new product and people were just curious. It was a one-off, you'll see. People just wanted to be contrarian. No, people are tired of being fed shit. Adam, how many matches were announced for Hell in a Cell at the end of Raw? Uh, Three. Then we have the Wednesday bloodbath happen. Their reaction to that, again, a shitty-ass tweet. Then, you know, as they, they've done leading up to this SmackDown show, they promoted Stone Cold Steve Austin. They told us The Undertaker was going to be there. They told us Sting was going to be there. Adam, how many of those guys showed up on SmackDown? I don't think any of them. Zero is the correct answer. <laughs> they told us 205 Live was going to be recorded after SmackDown. Adam, when did we see 205 Live? I don't even know. Myself, I don't even know. Because we haven't. <laughs> Kofi Kingston's title reign was turned into a punchline and ended in seven seconds for all what appears to be a angle for their stupid blood money show at the end of the month. Adam, I ask a question again. At the end of SmackDown, how many confirmed matches did we have for Hell in a Cell? Three. So we, over the weekend on Saturday, they finally announced Charlotte and Bailey, and then... 90 minutes before Hell in a Cell itself, they announced the other four or five matches on the show. So we finally get to Hell in a Cell. opens with Becky and Sasha. I loved this match. Yeah, it didn't. I, I, it was pretty good. thought it was great. I, I, For Sasha Banks, who's been kind of sloppy lately, it was really good. Yeah, I, I thought that was Sasha's best match in a long since time. she got called up from NXT. Yeah. Um, 
And oddly enough, they used canes. Ladders. Or they used ladders. They used chairs. Yeah. They used tables. And the match kept going and, and going and going and going until there was a winner. Shocking. What? So for <laughs> for the median age of the WWE audience, which is 47 years old, we've been trained and conditioned that Hell in a Cell can only end when there's a pinfall or submission. Because for years... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off here. Nope, that's fine. For years, they preached it as almost like a feud ender, to where this is a feud. You Correct. end, you you got to find that, I guess you call it your dark side or your your hardcore self to f- get the job done. Right. Until, like, think about all the major Hell in Cells, the famous ones. Mm-hmm. HBK Taker, um, Triple H... Shawn Michaels, Mankind, Undertaker, all these major feuds, it was barbaric as F. <laughs> like, and not any, even when Mick Foley got thrown off a cage, the ref didn't really stop the match. <laughs> they tried, but Undertaker's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> We're going right. to do more. And, and Mick Foley himself even got up. Right. So we, you know, go through the rest of Hell in a Cell, and it was just a standard WWE show. It was blah. Exactly. Meh. Yeah. So we get finally to one of the other three announced matches for the show, uh, the main event, which was Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, versus Seth Rollins. And as Adam just stated, we, we as WWE viewers, I'm going to stop saying fans, viewers have been conditioned that this is a feud ender. This was literally the first match that has been seen on TV um, they've done matches at house shows uh, between these two. And oddly enough, at the house shows, hey, the regular lighting is on, so you get to see The Fiend and you get to see Seth. So not only do we have a red cage with dark red lighting, which makes it very hard to see. I don't want to say very hard to see, but it was optically not pleasing on TV. And then when you see pictures online from people in the arena, you can't see. So... We get our standard Hell in a Cell stuff, chairs, kendo sticks, tables, and we get Bray Wyatt, <laughs> we get Bray Wyatt with his mallet, and they literally say Bray is trying to impale Seth with a mallet. Think about that, <laughs> right? So th- think about like getting stabbed with a you know getting stabbed with a knife. Okay, that's gonna hurt. Yes. But if someone's trying to impale you with a mallet, that's going to hurt a whole hell of a lot more. That's attempted murder. Correct. So then as we build up to the finishing sequence, we get a a ladder thrown on the fiend. We get chairs. We get a toolbox. We get all this stuff. (laughs) And then Seth hits the toolbox with a sledgehammer, and the referee stops the match. Now, the logical thinking from all of us is that, why did you just disqualify Seth Rollins? WWE, again, being lazy, doesn't care to have the announce team say, the referee stopped the match. The referee called this a no Ref contest. Stoppage. Yeah. Right. They, they just ignore it. So, for hours, we're thinking, why would you have a disqualification to end a hell in a cell? We start to think, okay, what the hell is going on here? And then we get lots of AEW chance, restart the match chance. Refunds. Refunds chance, and it goes off the air to a course of booze. Quality programming there. So, of course, 
the WWE apologists come out and say, well, you can't have Bray or Seth lose there, then don't book the fucking match. Why not? Hang on, though. Why the fuck not? Why can't you have Seth lose? Because you got to make him strong. Well, the, may I? One second here. Mm-hmm. Is he like I like Seth? I'm a big Seth Rollins component. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of Seth Rollins, but he's not drawing the ratings like Bray Wyatt is. When Bray mm-hmm. Wyatt's on TV, people turn the volume up. Mm-hmm. Why give him the belt? Or better yet, a friend pitched me this idea, which I actually kind of agree with. Let Bray just incapacitate the hell out of Seth and just fucking disappear. He doesn't need a bell. He's the fiend. And then have the fun house on the big screen in the show and be like, well, Seth, the fiend really liked that match. We should do it again. That way, Seth... So that should be another way around. Bay Riot should have been beating him on the ladder. Correct. And then just disappear. If you not want, don't want Seth to lose the belt, right. book him as he's so incapacitated. Bray Wyatt's like, I'm done with you right now. See you again soon, friend. Like, as his Mr. Rogers-esque right. tone. Whew. So the apologists continue with, well, it's the only ending that they could really do. No, then I don't, just gave you an ending. Right. Then don't book the fucking match. Oh, just wait and see what they do on Raw. You'll see it'll all make sense. What did they do on Raw? They ignored it. So I'm about to use a word that I hate using when it comes to wrestling fans, and that is mark. One of the definitions of mark is that you are a victim of a swindle or a prospective victim of a swindle. If you continue to defend the WWE and, and this shitty booking, you are a mark, and it's only going to get worse. In four or five months, we have the XFL starting. Mm -hmm. If you think Vince McMahon is going to step away and just run the XFL like he's quote-unquote claimed he's going to do, you are a mark. He has someone to run the XFL. His name is Oliver Luck. He's already got somebody to run the XFL. And, of course, the WWE apologists will be like, well, look at the stock price. They're still doing good there. Correlation does not imply causation. The stock price for McDonald's, Wendy's, whatever, could be through the roof. Doesn't mean the food is good. You know, like, looking back at it, I've read all the stuff, tweets, all the good tweets, the hate tweets, my own tweets. Like, it's, I read a report, I don't know if it's true, it's the internet, but I almost believe it, or seeing, hearing that Vince McMahon is laughing backstage at the reactions. Here's what gets me to that. You're, you crazy old man are laughing on top of your stacks of money saying, ha, 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 good job, pal. That's what I wanted you to do. No, I'm sorry. Fuck that. You have a company four channels down willing, run by a bunch of indie guys, because that's what they are. I don't like that term, who are wanting to kick your ass more than anything else on this planet because you have royally fucked half of them. Moxley, Jericho, Cody Rhodes. If you get a pissed off trio like that, they're going to do everything they can to beat you. But the Lord Sith himself is over here laughing his ass off. How can you be happy with that? I, I will refute that report. I think that that was just something someone made up and just tried oh, to get out there. that was Uncle Dave. <laughs> but the, the... I just don't like it. The, if, I, if that's no. true... Fuck Vince McMahon. No, the, ignoring the angle completely on Monday night 
tells me that they know they fucked up. Mm-hmm. But did they do anything to fix it? Of course not. Because they question our intelligence. Oh, you guys didn't watch it last night. You don't right. know what happened. Right. So you kind of hit on it. And here's why is AEW succeeding? They're not treating us like marks. They're treating fans as fans. Why keep watching, Hunter? Well, in, in two words, I'm not. We're, we're, we will talk pod, you know, we will talk pay-per-views on the pod, but I'm, I'm not watching Raw. I'm not watching SmackDown. I'm going to keep the network because there's still a lot of wrestling content on the network, and I love wrestling content, so I will keep the network. This whole sad thing. You know, you and I were talking about the Brock thing on the way home from our Dayton road trip. Mm-hmm. We were kind of in shock. We were like, hey, it's not completely stupid. It's shocking how he just kind of abruptly did it. But we kind of knew it was coming to an end. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now. Right. I care more about Cain Velasquez right now than I do the Seth Rollins angle. And that's a problem. Because The Fiend is the best thing they have. Right. And they're going to say, oh... Never mind. He wasn't even in that match. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. It's, it's it makes you not care at the end of that match. Like, why do I care who Seth Rollins fights next then? Right. Because it they, may never may not have happened the next night. They've shown you that they don't care because they're lazy and complacent and have and don't know how to fix it. And based off all these angles, where how would you have fixed it? If you're the man on the throne on Monday morning with your writing team, how are you fixing it? If I was in charge, I wouldn't have had anything to fix. <laughs> there, there was literally nothing to lose in saying, you know what? This is the hottest thing we have in the company right now. Put the title on him. If, He's literally this highest selling merchandise, I'm pretty sure. Right. He's it, the highest number one tattoo in the <laughs> country right now. Okay. And if, if it fails, okay. What's Take the difference? Your your ratings are shit anyway. So, yeah. what's the, what's the point? You gave the belt for Jinder Mahal for six months, guys. Right. You know, give, give the fiend the belt. See what happens. The worst thing you can do is next month or at the stupid Saudi show, which they will never say Saudi Arabia on TV. Take it off on them. It, it What's it going to hurt? Nothing. You can't. Your ratings can't get any worse than they are. Well, they can, but you're still going to have your core. Two million people that watch, regardless. But there's other but, things outside WWE right. as, to get as excited we, for. It is October 9th, 2019, as we're recording this. On Tuesdays, right now, we have NWA Power, which I don't know if anyone watched. I loved it. It was, I mean, I won't say awesome, but it was all kinds of fun. It was different. Right. It was great. Ah, it was just good. for the people like me, it's children, free. Children <laughs> of the 80s, it was classic inside of studio wrestling. And the wrestling was good. We have AEW Dark, which was good. We have Impact on Access now. And I know I know they're kind of in a, a recap or best of mode right now for, um, for Impact. But still, you have options. And on Wednesdays, we obviously have AEW and NXT. And I'll be curious to see how long it takes NXT to get crushed in the ratings before Vince steps in and puts his hands in there. Because for the first time in the history of the product, Cool Uncle Paul's Vanity Project actually has competition and is no longer the preferred choice of wrestling nerds like us. So we get to see how Triple H reacts to that. 
think that's the end of my my disdain and displeasure for the WWE this week. So don't expect raw recaps. Don't expect SmackDown recaps. I will do everything I can to continue to support both shows because NXT, despite getting crushed on the ratings, was fun. Mm-hmm. Good matches, logical matches, shit made sense. Who knew things like that can happen? But anyway. Now let's have fun. Yes. Now let's go to why we're here this week and Adam once again peruse the internet to find us a fun list and you get to hear the Dave Meltzer crinkle, crinkle, crinkle of paper. Oh yeah. As he brings the list out and once again I will get to, to gush. So I have two lists here, once again. The Bleacher Report list. Which we know sucks, but yep. okay. And the Adams put them on the fucking list, you morons list. Which right. is my favorite. So let's This on. list is better than the last one. I okay, will tell you cool. this. You'll like this. The rankings, not so, so much. Maybe much less uh, garbage than uh, this time yes. around. There was a tie for 25. Okay. Jake the Snake slash Kevin Sullivan. Oh, I mean, both good guys, both, I mean, icons. I thought Jake should have been higher, but yeah, that's me. I mean, Jake's... Sullivan was a great heel in Florida. Yeah, especially God, in the 80s. that's... You know, spending my, you know, uh, summers in Florida with my dad and, you know, getting to watch Mid-South when, during the school year when I was with my mom, uh, got the best of, bo- best of both worlds there, and Jake was just a great, cool, calculating heel, understood that you don't have to yell to get attention, can get it down to a whisper, and you're just even getting closer and closer even to the scarier. TV. Right. <laughs> get closer and closer to the TV to hear what he has to say, and then... Kevin Sullivan with just all sorts of crazy minions in his groups. Um, Army yeah. of Darkness, right? Yeah, in Florida? Both, both those yeah. guys absolutely deserve to be on a list of top 25 from the 80s, and for people sure. People just don't talk about Kevin Sullivan behind the scenes and what a genius he was to a lot of companies, too. Right. Um, number 24, the Rock and Roll Express. Um quite possibly one of my favorite tag teams of all time um, uh, I, I mean I don't know there's there, there's not nothing there's nothing that can be said that hasn't been said already and they're I'll, still going I'll, till this day right and, and <laughs> I you know, talked about you know getting to see 63 year old Ricky Morton hit a tope suicida to Shinko <laughs> Tagagi in 2019 just who would have thought? Yeah, um, just a, just perfect baby faces. Ricky Morton, great baby face in parallel. Robert They've Gibson. never been heel, have they? Uh, I think they did, but that was some, some Smoky Mountain stuff later okay. in, in the nineties. In but uh, I mean, in nothing their prime. That, yeah, yeah, nothing that I got to see. Where Speak- other than Richard Morton, when yeah. but again, that's nineties. So. That was great. Speaking of heels, one of my favorite factions slash tag teams, the Freebirds. Oh, just just watch. This is why you subscribe to the network still. Just watch World Class from 82, 83. And uh, I'm going I'm to use a term I heard from a soccer podcaster. Incandescent with rage. Just the heat and anger that the Freebirds generated. Um, you know, forget all the Confederate stuff nowadays, you know, because it was much different back then. Not an excuse for it. But just, I mean, God, I mean, just watch World Class from 82, 83, and you'd understand 
how amazing all those guys were. 22, Ted DiBiazzi. Uh, the, a, to me, like before he was the main other man, he was, he was the perfect heel. He was a wrestler who was, you know, cheated to win, of course, but could also just beat you. Didn't need the shenanigans. Used the shenanigans just to get heat, but there were matches where he didn't use the shenanigans and just beat you because he was better. And there's nothing wrong with the heel being better than you and winning a match clean. Something that apparently is lost in modern day booking for a certain company. Number 21, one of my favorite heels of that era. I may not have been born in this era, but I definitely watch, still watch to this day. Nikita Koloff. Oh, again, just... A heat-seeking missile. Yeah. And his uh, uncle, quotations, uncle, you know, uncle, Ivan. Uh, yep, Uncle Ivan. Um, the Russians in NWA. They're stuff with the Warriors, man. Yeah. Um, oh, and just the stuff with Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes, too. Um, Nikita Koloff, just, I mean, you could, like, you could put a guy with that build in wrestling today and just still be a heat magnet. I don't know if you could, well, you could probably do the Russian thing considering the state of affairs, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, just may not have been the greatest gifted in-ring worker, but holy crap, were you scared for whoever he wrestled? <laughs> His Russian sickle was one of the most vicious lariats you'll ever see number 20 Kerry Von Erich uh, any of the Von Erichs to me I mean all that goes hand in hand with the Freebirds um, so they're nuclear heat the love for yeah, the, free, just for the like, Von Erichs again 82, 83, world class 84, 85, watch all that world class watch the Von Erichs come to the ring and just get sexually assaulted by every single woman grabbing every body part they could from those guys um, good, I mean, good in-ring worker, um, you know, had a, unfortunately a very short title reign, but that's obviously understandable, but just, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely to me a top 25 in the 90s for sure. 80s, but it's okay. 80s, yeah, sorry. Number 19, the Road Warriors. Oh man, the Road Warriors, just, just, again, best tag team of the 80s, hands down. I any, would have to agree with you. Any company they went to immediately won the tag team championships. Uh, unfortunately, went to WWF post their their real good stuff. Um, obviously, the dream match of the late '80s was Demolition versus the Road Warriors that we never got to see. But Road Warriors, uh, absolutely. I, I of the '80s tag teams, number one uh, overall. You know, including singles. Uh, to me, top five, top three. Number 18, my guy, we've been on this guy before, Ultimate Warrior. The, again. Got his rise in the 80s, you yep, could say. Yep, can't knock it. Um, from from being Rock and the Blade Runners to the Dingo Warrior to the Ultimate Warrior. Um, always just got a great reaction out of the fans. Uh, never the greatest entering worker, but just... Uh, you, he was over, though. Yeah, right? I mean, just mega popular um can't knock it and you know if you know uh, you know feel bad for brutus beefcake the only time in the world i'll ever feel bad for brutus beefcake is he was you know supposed to win the intercontinental title and you know literally broke his face parasailing and they just plunked in the ultimate warrior to that intercontinental match and beat the honking talk man and the rest is history 
Number 17, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, man. See, we're getting to my wheelhouse. Um, you know, Hacksaw in the Mid-South area, you know, then moving to the WWF. Um, again, never the greatest in-ring guy, but would go out and give you a solid match. Great, be believable babyface in peril. Occasionally getting that big win. Uh, never got a big run with a title in the WWF, but, you know, won some titles in the Mid-South and absolutely deserved him. Um, don't know if I go top 25, but... I boy. would for character, but yeah. I probably wouldn't not as this for, for, um, yeah, yeah, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, a, a honorable mention at worst for the 80s. Number 16, probably one of the best true wrestlers on this list. Doesn't get enough respect in the wrestling business, in my opinion. Uh, Tito Santana. Um, Strike Force, arguably one of the top five teams in the 80s. Someone can tweet me if they don't agree. No, I don't agree. But, what do you mean? Okay, different day. Um, just the good babyface to me had you know more of his stuff in the early 80s where I wasn't really watching WWF at that point. Um, me, most remember, he's most remembered for losing to Randy Savage. So Randy Savage could get his first Intercontinental title reign. Um yeah, there was Strike Force, um, but just then he was just settled with the terrible Matador gimmick, and that was nineties though. Yeah, just I don't, I don't, to me, not top twenty-five, but Number whatever. Fifteen. This is really surprising that this guy should be way lower, just from just all factor. Mm -hmm. Andre the Giant. Oh yeah, should be top three for singles because I mean, you go undefeated for an entire decade, you draw massive crowds, you make massive amounts of money for every company you're in. Just a, a you know, and it's, it's you know, stupid cliche to say, but absolutely larger than life. In early '80s, Andre could go like right. that dude could have. Yeah, watch the stuff from the '70s and '80s with Hanson in in All Japan or New Japan, and just they beat the piss out of each other. Even right. the stuff with Hogan at Shea Stadium was at '81, '82, when Andre was thinner too, not as right. heavy as he was. Andre was doing drop kicks and <laughs> right. shoulder tackles and. My favorite's probably from the eighties and stuff with Killer Khan and the broken ankle. But yep. Yep. we could talk about him for a whole episode if we wanted yep. to. Absolutely worthy of it. Um, again, top three. And if you haven't seen his documentary on HBO, go out of your way to watch oh, it. God. It just makes you sad though. It's it great, does, but it makes you but sad. You'll cry by the end of it. I did. Number fourteen. I was never sold on this guy. I'm sure you might have been, but I just never got it. Bob Backlin. Yeah, pass. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's Vince Senior all right, the way. Yeah, that's. I mean, again, most of his stuff was more late seventies, early eighties when I really wasn't aware of WWF. So I can't, I, I can't comment on what I don't know. Number you know, so pass. Yeah, number thirteen. You know, the other half of Strike Force, the model, but he wasn't the model yet during this decade. Rick Martel. Uh, more familiar with the stuff from the AWA, where he was world champion for a bit uh, before he lost to Stan Hansen. Um, but I mean, yeah, you can't knock, uh, you know, Rick Martel. It was a, it was a great face, great heel. It was a good hand, like a good wrestler. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, and I, I know I'm not fond of the good hand. I feel like that's an insult at times, but no, he was a good hand. Like, um, you know, talked about, um, oh shoot, who we talked about from the nineties, you know, as a baby face made the heel look good as a heel made the baby face look good. I forget now, but I know okay. what yeah, I forget, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, can't knock his work. Uh, just just a, 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 a great guy, great wrestler, uh, top 25, yeah, I think so. Number 12, double A, 
Arn Anderson. Uh, I talked about him from the 90s. Um, Much better run here. Yeah, <laughs> again, best spine buster in the business. One of the best uh, mouthpieces. God, fantastic. Just, um, anything with the Four Horsemen of Dusty Rhodes, obviously, is just gold. And Arn was just, Arn was the workhorse of either team, whether it was with Ole or whether it was with Tully. Uh, just, uh, yeah, severely to me, severely underrated um, by most. But, you know, those of us hardcore nerds know the greatness of Arn. Right. Number 11, this guy should be top three, in my opinion, or top five, at least, Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, we're, we're going to bleed somewhat in the 90s talking about the Russell War stuff and all the stuff with Flair towards the end of the 80s and early 90s. Well, stuff with the young, was Jay Young. But yeah, Warner, um, Jay you know, tag team title matches for the NWA World title um, was great there. Obviously a great run in the WWF as the Dragon, you know, and Intercontinental match, one of the greatest matches of all time was Savage. Would you, would you like him better as that run or the early days with the tag team titles? Oh, no, I liked him as a singles wrestler much more. You know, yeah. give me give me the WWF, NWA stuff as a singles guy, and I, it, it's, a, it's a wrestling clinic. Yeah, I, top five, I, I kind of agree with you there. Yeah. Number 10, one of my favorite wrestlers, which is actually going to surprise you, um, Barry Windham. Oh, boy, Barry Windham. Um I don't know why. I quality, just was always drawn to him. Quality, quality worker. Um, man, I just I figured stuff in the, the horseman. Man, yeah, was great. Um, but it always just strikes me as a guy who should have been more. He was good. Is that but he, his fault or his booking fault? I see. I don't know. Like I don't know if, you know, if there were attitude issues backstage. You, know, well, you hear stories about him overall, right? Sub being lazy. Yeah, substance whatnot. abuse, drugs, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but yeah, just struck me as a guy who should have been more. Uh, Tommy Rich is another guy like should have been more. When Wyndham was like the enforcer of the Horsemen, mm -hmm. like that was one of the best factions of all. That incarnation was one yeah, of the best I, I, around. You know? Yeah, I don't knock his his skill set or his longevity, but just like it just feels to me like an ultimate what could have been guy. Right. Although maybe it wasn't if he was this guy in the '90s, it might have been better. It might have been worse if he was before his time in a sense but who knows number nine <laughs> jerry lawler <laughs> uh, i well again you know i no no i mean past just because i i i didn't get to see any of his stuff in memphis and you know and Do you he, like fireballs i understand that's what he was for and i understand he was a 423 time uswa champion and whatever and and he and Eddie Gilbert had, you know, a great feud. I'm, I'm aware of all this stuff, but I, I, I never saw enough of him in person to comment until he was in the WWF in the 90s. I will give a lot to Lawler for the fact of the guys he worked with also helped get over. One maybe like uh, Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman shaved Jerry Lawler bald in the middle of a steel cage and almost caused, I think he did cause a riot in yeah. Memphis with Austin Idol. Yes. Um... Was there some silliness with the concession stand brawls and everything else? But Memphis produced a lot of talent. You don't hear anybody say good things about Memphis because the pay and the travel. <laughs> but hey, it got you to the next level, right? right? Number eight, my man, the icon Sting. Yeah, we talked about it in the nineties. Uh, a Sting was just—he was coming up. He was coming up. Yeah, the rise. He was still mega huge. Oh I mean, yeah, class of champions. Yeah, watch yeah. that first class of champions. 
which was WCW counter-programming WWF WrestleMania. That's how you counter-program, folks. That's, that's, called, that's a great class of champions. That's called competition, general. and that means that they were afraid of each other. I think he won the first belt in 89. Uh, I think 90, so, yeah. One of those two, but... Um. But yeah, it's on just, fire. Oh, yeah. Again, I, I, you can't make a list of the 80s without putting him on there. And his, he had a feud with the Road Warriors for a hot minute. I got a way to find that with him and Dusty. Good stuff. <laughs> Number seven, the most boring wrestler on the planet, but respect for what he did. Baron Corp? Easy killer. Oh. Nick Pockwinkle. Uh, yeah, same. I mean, uh, you know, most of his stuff was before I really got to see him. Um, when I was able to start watching the AWA, um, he was already past his prime and, and more of a, 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 God, was it Kurt Henning? He was a second four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of his, you know, again, managerial seconding stuff in, um, in WWF, Obviously, you know, Hall of Fame worthy guy, you know, from what I know of, um, but, you know, kind of a, another past that I can't say that I've, I've seen enough of him in a ring to say good or bad. If you want to hear a great Nick Bockwinkle story, please read Ric Flair's book where he talks about Kurt Henning <sighs> locking a padlock <laughs> in between Nick Bockwinkle's glasses on a 12 hour drive home because Nick Bockwinkle can't see without his bifocals. It's a hoot. Please go out your way to see it. <laughs> Number six. Randy Savage. Um, talked about it all in the 90s. Savage in the 80s was just transcendent. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the Rockstar, you know, on our way home from the Rockstar Pro Show this weekend with Chris. Um, just, you know, yeah, there were athletes, there were former football players and, and whatever in wrestling in the 80s, but there were none that were as graceful and just, you know, I... I, I said glide, and he glided, glowed, whatever the right word is, when he did his moves, and it just took athleticism to the next level. Uh, and, and was he your number one? I know you're. Just a, I know you're. No, a fan. I mean, from a fan, from a fan's perspective, I know you love him. My number one, like my, probably my favorite of the '80s, yes. But okay. wrestler of the '80s, I mean, no, you, you, right. you know, I'm sure it's well, going to be on yeah. here. It's, it's <laughs> got to be. No, well, I'm sure it'll be on here. Number five. I think this guy should have been like more in the 15 to 20, but especially during this time period, Harley Race, he's kind of winding down. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, most of his stuff was 70s. Um, I would have had Savage ahead of him by a yeah, mile. But then, but, I mean, you have the, the famous Starcade match with him and Flair in the 80s, so. And you, but then yeah. you had King Harley Race, which is, oh, God. Oh, but it was still good, but he, he could still go, though. That's the point. Like, he, he could still give you a damn entertaining match. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right on that. But I just, you know, he was kind of, I think, 70. We're talking 70s, Harley Race yeah. is like number one. Yeah. But um, number four, my favorite wrestler of the 80s, Roddy Piper. Yeah, the... The the, he, the heel of the 80s. Yeah, the, like <laughs> the prototype heel. Like yeah. there's just, there's no... Man, there have not been many better than at being the bad guy than Roddy Piper. If you want a clinic on how to be a bad guy, watch him. Especially the old Piper's Pit stuff. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we'll bleed into the 70s. Watch the stuff with him and Greg Valentine in the 70s too. Just, I mean, yeah, just, uh, yeah. Top five for sure, yeah, easily. Almost underrated how much people, when people compare him to things. Because he was also a good, he was also a really good worker too. Um, number three, Dusty Rhodes. 
we talked about Roddy Piper being the prototype uh, heel, and Ro Dusty Rose was the prototype babyface. Like, you know, wherever he went, you know, whether it was just for a, a quick month run here, a month run there, mega over. Obviously, you know, you get to the Mid-Atlantic and, and NWA days, and I mean, just... I mean, look at, you know, may not have been the greatest booker in the world, may not have been the, the smartest guy when in control of the book. But, you know... Um, you he know, also brought a lot of good things. He brought right. us war games and... Right, and you, and you talk about, uh, you know, when he passed away, you know, you, you just see all the wrestlers of t and some of those still guys today talking about it. And the one that stuck out to me the most was Paul Heyman and... You know, Dusty said, all right, Paul, you know, you got two minutes, man, go. And, you know, gave, didn't give him a script, didn't give him any bullet points, just said, go sell the show. And, um, you know, he comes back from the show, and, you know, comes back from, the, from cutting the promo, and, and Dusty's like, man, that was a great kid, you know, lots of fire, lots of passion, but where's the money? And, and Dusty Rhodes could draw money, no matter what. Um, obviously not the most gifted in the ring, you know, my belly too big, my honey too big, but... He didn't have to be. Yeah, just, I mean, uh, again, uh, if we're going purely baby faces alone, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone else would take Hulk Hogan. I would take Dusty Rhodes. Well, speaking of, number two, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, number two and number one should be pretty obvious. Um, again, not not the biggest Hulk Hogan fan. Never really was, even as a face. But can't knock the legacy, you know, Sold out arena after arena after arena, you know, I mean, like, five days a week, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. I guess you could preach that Hulk Hogan helped make it mainstream. Yes. Right? I mean... Right, and, you know, right. it's, it's the... And this one is the, always the chicken or the egg thing. You know, did, did Hulk Hogan help make the WWF, or did Vince help make Hulk Hogan? And I think it's just a, it's a marriage of both. They needed each other, and, it, and they just came together at the right time. And, and Hulk had a lot of help with his matches, he was paired with some really good right. Yeah, when you're heels. when you're paired with Roddy Piper, you're paired Paul with Paul Orndorff. You're paired with King Kong Bundy. Who even well, how even like Bob Wharton. Right. Like, even though they were, you know, Bundy was a big guy. Bundy was awesome and amazing. So it just, you know, and I just he it was the right time. Yeah, it was right just place. yeah, it was just it was the perfect sequence of events for both those guys. And because I can't ever diss Hulk Hogan for what he brought to the business. Correct. No, there there is no way you can. Can I say God is my favorite wrestler? No, <laughs> like, no, not not, not. I, with our boy Lord Crew. I agree that he's a better heel <laughs> yes. ten years later. But yes, anywho, absolutely was. Yes. Um, number one, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, which I totally agree with. Oh yeah, there, there's, I, I would love to see someone counteract why he was not the wrestler of the. He 80s. was the eighties. Right. Like, <sighs> God, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, like great promo skills, great matches. Yeah, just. Next level greatness wrestler. Like compare it. I can list you probably a hundred Ric Flair matches of the eighties compared to ten Hulk Hogan good ones. Oh yeah, please. You know? you, a month worth of Ric Flair matches were better than a career worth of Hulk Hogan matches. Like and Ric Flair was traveling territory to territory, wrestling sixty minutes every night. Like mm -hmm. with everybody, every and, territory's champion, he was working and, and making a certain kid back in 1983 think that Hacksaw Butchreed was about to become the NWA World's Champion. But oh, damn! 60-minute time limit. 
the Sam Houston Coliseum was let down as Butch Reed failed. But he went and did that the next night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then did that the following night in in Shreveport, Louisiana. My favorite Ric Flair story is told by Sting. 1988, Sting blew his knee out in the cage, saving somebody from the Dragon Force, whatever that damn faction was called. Mm -hmm. Sting blows his knee out. Ric Flair said, I'm going to hold the belt for you. And all the everyone's like, nope. Give us, you're going to drop it to Luger. Ric Flair's like, no, fuck <laughs> that. Sting's earned it. He's going to get the belt. And he waited. Yeah, He's like, like he, true to his word, he fought for, like, this kid deserves it. Right. I'm not dropping it to anybody else. Because you know, I, I, I wasn't peeking at your list, but I, I see somebody on your list, and it's it's the one that jumps out to me. Because I, I think with Sting, Rick saw what Magnum TA was could have been. Damn it, let me get that. I, I, I know, but I, I, just, I just saw him on your list and, and that... How did he... Okay, let's just jump to that then. We love Ric Flair. Ric Flair is always number one of the 80s. Yeah. We have different favorite wrestlers of the 80s, but mm-hmm. Ric Flair is the 80s of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Sure, Madden T.A. did not make the list. Why? I just... I mean... Him and Tully Blanchard, I quit match yeah. in a little cage. Starcade, like, 80. Like, we talked about how I love sprints. Like, you would think, like, here when we were talking about that match, that it was a 45-minute knockdown drag-out fight. No, it was 15 minutes of just pure violence. Before it's time with some of the violence. A broken right. chair piece? Yeah. Like, who would have thought yeah, that in 1983? Just, yeah. <laughs> Magnum TA would, to me, for my personal list of baby faces of the 80s, is, boy, if he's not top two, top three, just... I can't believe he didn't make... I just want to know who can put... Jim Duggan and Warrior and Bob fucking Backlund. Longevity. And just, I mean, that's not his. He got into a car wreck. Unfortunately, right. that's not all his fault, right? There. No, it's not. That's but not, it's just that, know, that's, that's it's bad a, luck. Right. Unfortunately, but that's gonna be the reason why. Because you know, my dad always told me stories of Madden TA about mm-hmm. that was his watching him in the front row in Myrtle Beach. You know, um, jumping into it. One of my favorite heels. Of the 80s that didn't make it somehow, Tully Blanchard. Yeah. You can't talk Mam TA without talking Tully Blanchard. Right, and and it's what I what I talked about previously with Ted DiBiase. A heel who was a heel, but could beat you. And it was okay. Sure he had the horseman, yeah, he had Baby Doll and and JJ Dillon and all the you know, all the, the bells and whistles that it, you know a heel should have. But he didn't need it, and that's the part that frustrated you because you're like, that guy's so damn good. Why is he cheating? <laughs> so, and it's okay that a heel is better than you. And the slingshot suplex, fantastic for its yeah. time. Uh, another one on my list, I had Greg Valentine. Just a uh, good heel. Obviously, the stuff with uh, Brutus Barbecue Cake. And he well, and, him and Piper, I was yeah, going that's for good stuff. Yep, and then um, yeah, just uh, you know, good, you know, and and. Not for nothing, if you watch The Wrestler, boy, did that strike me as being Greg Valentine. <laughs> and I just watched his Viceland, Viceland documentary. It, mm-hmm. I talked to you about it in the past. I watched mm-hmm. it again just for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruiser Brody. Yeah. I know you're a Mid-South world-class yeah. guy. You can't talk about those companies without talking about Bruiser yeah, Brody. You know, he, he didn't really stick around Mid-South all that much. And, you know, come through world-class here and there. Um, would go to... Uh, the, the company out in, company out in San Antonio a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Blanchard's company, I forget the name. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the prototype big man 
God, just watch the stuff with him and Dula the Butcher, and it still holds oh, today. People would run in fear in the, when they'd go in the stands. Yeah. yeah. Just, they would call sheer panic. They would call sheer panic. Mm -hmm. And um, for a big man, could actually really work too. Yep. Did some very unique stuff. Um, another one, another great, a lot of heels. Um, Paul Orndorff. Yep. And again, Mr. Like you can't knock Mr. Wonderful. And he should have been on the top twenty-five. Yeah. But, you know, we don't make the we don't work for the Bleacher Report. So um, then Midnight Express with Jimmy Cornette. Yep. Um, uh, you know, right or wrong will always be linked with the Rock and Roll Express for the 80s and, and their feuds that they had Mid-South and then NWA. Um, yeah, that's classic. Just, yeah, it, there, yeah, there's a reason why. is because they are classics. And, uh, you know, to, yeah, to me, wherever you put the Midnight Express, you have to have the Rock and Roll Express right next to them. Mm -hmm. Put one at one, you know, put one at 25, the other at 24. Put one at one, put one at two, doesn't matter. Whatever list you make, those they those two need to be next to each other. I might sound crazy for this, but hey, that's okay. It's my show. I think they're one of the best heel tag teams of the '80s, if well, not yeah. all time. Bobby, <laughs> like uh, you know, I, I talk about Stone Cold being in my head sometimes when we talk about wrestlers. Listen to him talk about Bobby Eaton, like mm -hmm. he like, then that, that's all you need to do when you have a wrestler like Stone Cold, who was his mega popular Stone Cold, and he can gush about Bobby Eaton. That tells you all you need to know about that. Him just teaming with, I love Jim Cornette too. I don't know why, but his, he could get any crowd just to hate him within mm -hmm. seconds. I know I did when I was a kid. Um, then Ravishing Rick Rude. Yeah, we talked about him on the 90s podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously got, you know, started in, in the 80s, got mega popular in the 80s. You the know. Jake Roberts stuff. Yeah, Jake Roberts. Cheryl Roberts. Roberts. Just what I like right now is all you Minnesota meatheads to shut your mouth, so I can show <laughs> the ladies what a real man looks like. And he looked the like, part too. Can, yeah, and just the part I love about looking at some of the Rick Root stuff now, and you know, it's, you can do it with him almost anything, but just the '80s hair, the big puffy and the mustache, afro and mustache that he had. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Um, your guy, Junkyard Dog. Yeah, man, again, this is why I say I'll keep subscribing to the network. Just go watch his stuff from Mid-South and, and just watch the crowd go bonkers. That was Bill Watts' guy. Yeah. To Vince's Hulk, Bill Watts' is Junkyard Dog. Oh, yeah, Junkyard Dog. <laughs> um, drew wherever he went and, you know, uh, just, I mean, went to the WWF and just you know, good for him. Hopefully, got that paycheck and you know made himself a comfortable living. But just better elsewhere. But, yeah, um, like, last, a lot of, like a lot of people, but still, it's yeah. fine. Lastly, Tommy Rich, Wildfire. Uh, well, I already left. No, talked about him. I talked about Barry Windham. Yeah. Just, just a guy again. You know, big blonde-haired guy. You know, you'd think would just be mega over and just. Won the NWA World Title for a hot minute, lost it, and was just. Him and people, like, people talk about him and Buzz Sawyer the most, I guess you could say, in the yeah. first Hell in a Cell, essentially. Yeah. With a ring, they had a cage match, 1980. With a roof, 82 in Atlanta. Yep. Yeah. And so that was the first. That's why you watch it. First documented Hell in a Cell. <laughs> yep. But that's it for me, man. All right, so again, got. with me not doing prep, I, I should have done prep so I could come up with some of my list. Um, but 
you know, I talked about him in the 90s uh, being part of Miracle Violence Connection, but Steve, Dr. Death Williams. And Terry Gore, but he's part of the Freebirds. And, no, his tag team with with Ted DiBiase when they were in Mid-South was just... Like, to me, I thought that's what a tag team was supposed to be, is you have just the brute force and sheer raw power of Dr. Death and the wrestling technician of Ted DiBiase. And again... That's what a perfect tag team is. Right. Heels that would could beat you and beat you clean, and it was okay. Um, so Dr. Death, Steve Williams, would be on my list. Um, God bless, I had a person in my brain that way when we were talking, and I just lost it. There's some other ones I definitely could have put on here. Uh, for time consumed, I didn't. Like Don Morocco, I would have put on there. No, not Don Morocco. No, of course you got me trying to think of 80s and... Since no I'm pressure. angry at WWF and all I can think of is WWF guys. Um, but Dynamite Kid, British Bulldogs, David Boy Smith in the 80s. Great stuff. Demolition. Um, yeah, I'm surprised they weren't on here. Aren't any? They weren't in right. anything I could find, but right. for sure, one of the best tag teams of the 80s. Um, you know, the, all, all the, you know, a lot of the knockoff Rock and Roll Express tag teams, you know, the Fantastics, the Fabulous Ones, all those who tried to mimic them. Still great guys with great work and, you know, could just never do it. Um, shoot, man, now I wish I had written these down. Cause well, I was going to put other Von Eggs. I was going to put David on there because David was gone too soon. Ric Flair will tell you, Dusty Rhodes will tell you in interviews. Anybody, you look back at old interviews, David Von Eric was the best Von Eric. He was planned to be world champion at some right, point. And then, you know, died right around the time where I really started to become familiar with the Von Erickson world class. And um, it was just like, a, a just, just, just good. He was like, way more over than Kerry. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't want to be say that's why Kerry got the world title run, but it's obviously put together that's why Kerry got the world title it, run. It is. It's fair to say. It's right. exactly, he won it at the David Von Erick Memorial Show. Right. Um, uh, you know, we, we talked about it because of the Viceland documentary, but Gina Hernandez was oh. yeah, just not a, not around long enough, so I think longevity probably plays a part of it. Um, I just want to, I think you and I should just be detectives one day <laughs> and figure that out because... Uh, Again, I'm going to go heavy and you know into what I watched, but um, gentleman Chris Adams, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, you know, all, you know a lot of those guys in world class. And Chris Adams and Gino um, Hernandez, the dynamic, dynamic duo, duo yeah. yeah. And um, you know, Chris Adams turning when he turned heels, oh, such so good. Um, goodness. Gino would have been world champion somewhere if he... Yeah. They um, said in a ru- rumor mill that he could have been the million-dollar man again because he was the million-dollar right, man. Yeah. He lived it. Like, yeah, yeah. Talked about him earlier, but King Kong Bundy, one-man gang. just like, The bigs. Yeah. Would you put Big John Sutt up there? As much? Or nay? No, because, I mean... Because my thing is, like, other than the Andre feud, what what can you tell me about John Studd? He was fed to Hulk Hogan along with everybody else, but what can you tell me right. about John Studd? Like, so yeah, like I, I I I can't think of anything else that he's he's done that would make me say, boy, yeah, John Studd deserves to be on my list. Um, next time we do this, I'm going to come up with a list so I have have myself prepared. 
Are we doing two thousands next, or what do we do? <laughs> no, that's when I that's I turned out I tuned out early two thousands where I was just loosely aware of things. So no, yeah. we don't need to go there. Um, but yeah, I think that'll do it for this week. Uh, yep. Lots of audio snafus that you guys are unaware of that I'm hopefully going to edit out and and make this sound coherent. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter at three MB Podcast. Follow Adam at Adam Howell three MB. I'm at 119 followers. Damn, man, you're doing some work. I am. I'm stagnant stagnant at whatever I'm doing. You're still at 131. I'm catching up, buddy. Uh, I was at 42 weeks ago. I don't know what's happening. And I've been on nine years, so (laughs) that tells you all you need to know. It's the heel, Adam. It's over. No, tells you don't talk soccer. Um, (laughs) I try to talk soccer with you. I try. uh, And we will be back next week. Uh, we'll talk about something. <laughs> yeah, talk Impact, talk uh, AEW, obviously, talk NXT, talk NWA Power. We'll talk all kinds of things that are fun and entertaining, and we will ignore the company that shall not be named. 